1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's read verses 23 through 26 to begin with. That's 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 23. We'll go through verse 26. This is our base text, and then we'll start the Bible study. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, he says, For I received from the Master what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Master Yeshua took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Master's death until He comes. May Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. In the 21st century that we live in, we have so many things being done under the umbrella of Christianity. I once spoke to a lady who asked me what religion I belonged to because I seemed strange to her. Those were her words. And I first told her that I considered myself to be a Christian, but I went on to tell her that I needed to clarify with a disclaimer because the name Christian today carries a lot of baggage with it that it didn't carry back in the first century. So when the Apostle Peter mentioned that suffering as a Christian is a good thing in 1 Peter 4 verse 16, Peter was not talking about suffering for going to... uh, 10,000 member church on Sunday morning and hearing a 10 minute motivational speech where sometimes not even one Bible verse is ever turned to. That's not what Peter was talking about. I explained to this very nice lady that the word Christian originally meant someone who followed the example of the Hebrew Messiah. Christianos in Greek, Christiana in Aramaic means a Christ follower. Maybe I ought to tell people that I'm a Christ follower or a follower of Christ instead of using the word Christian. But in other words, the Messiah is the teacher and I am the disciple, the pupil, the student. He teaches me with both his words and with his life. People sometimes explain to me that the reason that they're not a Christian is because some of the worst people that they know claim to be Christians and they don't want to get caught up in a hypocritical religion. I think that that's a cop-out myself. But I do explain the meaning of the name Christian when people give that particular objection. We need to keep in mind that what hypocrites do with that title or name or with the Bible should not turn someone away from the teachings of the Bible itself. When I compare what is taught in the Bible with what is going on under the name of Christianity, I can say that there is much more to the Bible than what most people think. We all need to keep in mind and encourage everybody in the world not to shun the Bible because of quote-unquote Christians that you know. Read it. I'm afraid that most people that shun it have never read it. I don't think most Christians have ever read it, to be honest with you. But read it. Let it stand on its own. People misuse things all the time. If you buy a brand new computer and you don't know how to operate it because you haven't read the manual and haven't taken the time to read the instruction book, don't blame the computer for your ignorance. Don't blame the Bible for your ignorance. And when someone says, well, I don't want to be a Christian because of all the hypocrites, tell them, say, look, some of those people that maybe you think are Christians, maybe they're not. 
Maybe the reason they don't act like Christ is because they're not of Christ. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're saved. Just because you carry the name Christian doesn't mean that you're a Christ follower. Read the Bible. People misuse things all the time. Let the Bible stand on its own. And if you have not read the Bible, do not assume that you know what it teaches. Begin reading in Genesis. Don't start in John. Don't start in Revelation. Don't start in Isaiah. Start in the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, and read it all the way through. Take your time. Don't rush through it. Take your time. Let it stand on its own. So, that's kind of an introductory to this lesson. I think you'll see why I started off with that. I've been teaching about some aspects of the Passover. I started on the new moon. We talked about the Passover. I I talked about... um, uh, getting our hearts and our lives ready. I can't even remember right now what I taught on the new moon. I've been doing so much study and teaching and talking and answering questions uh, through text and emails and messages. But anyhow, I know I taught something about the Passover on the new moon. And then the next time I taught uh, another subject uh, involved with the Passover. And then last week we did a question and answer session about the Passover. And I've been doing that. And so what I'd like to do is something that I haven't done since 2008. I went back and looked at my notes and my sermons. And it's been since 2008 since I taught in the, in the Sabbath services about the Master's Supper. I kind of do a little overview whenever we take the Master's Supper each year. But I've never really taught on it for about 11 years. And so I thought that, well, it's time to, to stir up our minds by way of reminder and talk about what's commonly called the Lord's Supper or communion. Because just as there's been a lot of falsity attached to the name Christian, there's been a lot of falsity attached to the Lord's Supper. You've got this church doing this and that church doing that. And most of the time, nobody is checking the instruction manual to see if what they're doing is kosher or what they're doing is, is right or accurate or proper. So we read about it in 1 Corinthians 11. But I want to take a a fresh look at this ordinance. I almost did this last year because for the past three or four years, I've looked at it every year. And in 11 years, I've changed some of the things that I believe on it. Some of the things that I believed back then, I still believe exactly or identical. But I've changed in some regard. And I want to look at the Bible. I'm not really interested in what this man does or that preacher does or that elder does. I'm interested in what the Bible has to say. And I want the Bible to be our guide. So we will begin looking at the Master's Supper in this lesson. And at least one more lesson, probably two more. So, I believe that what is called the Lord's Supper is an ordinance that was instituted for the New Covenant. It is not an ordinance that existed back in the Old Covenant, but it is something that was instituted in the New Covenant. Now, I would define the word ordinance biblically as that which has been instituted by Yahweh, either directly or through the mouth of His servants or prophets, and thus it carries the force of law. So I understand the Lord's Supper to be a law or a commandment in that respect, an ordinance or a teaching that came with the beginning of the New Covenant. Now we can parallel or illustrate this with New Covenant baptism. Water baptisms definitely existed during the Old Covenant times. A lot of people don't know that. But water baptisms existed in the Old Covenant. In the many purification rites of the Israelites, in the laws of the priesthood, 
and even in the old covenant days of John the Baptizer. We've got to remember John the Baptizer and our Messiah, they both lived, Messiah predominantly lived during the time of the old covenant. He didn't inaugurate the new covenant or begin the new covenant until his death and resurrection. So, while baptisms existed in the Old Covenant, after the death and the resurrection of Yeshua, water baptism took on a greater significance. Those who were baptized in the book of Acts were baptized into Yeshua's death. Romans 6, 1-4, Paul says, Know ye not that as many of you as have been baptized have been baptized into Christ's death. Therefore, we are buried with Him in baptism we raised to walk in newness of life. So we could call it Christian baptism. And this baptism did not exist until after the death of the Messiah. So it's a new covenant ordinance. It shouldn't be problematic in our minds because as we read the Bible, if we begin at the beginning, as we read the Bible, Yahweh has instituted ordinances along the way. I believe they were all, even those that came not necessarily in Genesis, but that came later, they were all foreordained in the mind of Yahweh and came on the scene at certain times and occasions. For instance, in Exodus 12, we read of how the last plague was placed upon the Egyptian people and how the Israelites were thrust out of the land of Egypt because Pharaoh was angry. He lost his firstborn son. They were thrown out in a hasty manner so they didn't have time to let their dough rise for making loaf bread. So they had to eat bread that was unleavened. They took their dough before it was leavened and they made unleavened cakes or unleavened, unleavened bread. And at this time, Yahweh gave an ordinance to commemorate this occurrence. It's called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We see, we keep reading in the Bible, we get through Exodus, Leviticus, we hit Numbers and we see an institution of another law in Numbers 15, 37 through 41. It's called the Law of the Fringes. Uh, you see uh, some of us wear fringes on the borders of our garment with a strand or ribbon of blue in the fringe. It's in Numbers chapter 15. Yahweh gave this commandment to remind us to keep the commandments. And the reason for the blue is for another sermon at another time, but I believe that the reason for the blue is because the Ten Commandments were written on stone, but not granite. They were written on sapphire stone, which was a precious stone, a blue stone. That's why you have the blue thread. It reminds you of the blue stone. So just before that law, there was a man that he willfully despised the Sabbath day. He didn't want to keep the Sabbath day. He was picking up sticks, working on the Sabbath, didn't care about Yahweh's law. And Moses went and talked to Yahweh. Yahweh said, he's to be put to death. He's despised my, my Sabbath day. He's committed a capital crime, so capital punishment is in order. We're not talking about a person that was ignorant of the Sabbath or didn't realize what was going on. It was willful defiance, high-handed sin, hatred against Yahweh's law. So then Yahweh said, Moses, tell the Israelites, make fringes on the four corners of your garment to remind you to keep the commandments. Somebody says, Brother Matthew, do you really think you need a reminder to keep the commandments? Absolutely. Yes, I am but flesh. I'm a human being. I need all the reminders I can get. I need a reminder sometimes to, to do mundane worldly things. How much more so a reminder to keep Yahweh's instructions. And so that law of the fringes, as far as I can tell, didn't come about till Numbers chapter 15. It existed in the mind of Yahweh, I'm certain, but it came about at that particular time. So I believe that when we understand these institutions of Yahweh at other times throughout the Scriptures, it will help us understand the institution of Yahweh through His Son Yeshua just before Calvary. 
The Master's Supper was not something that was man-made. It was something akin to the feast or the fringe ordinance. Yahweh was working through His Messiah to institute an ordinance. There was no man that was adding to Yahweh's law. Yahweh's prophet, like unto Moses, Yeshua of Nazareth, was instituting an ordinance that was foreordained, but came about in its proper place and proper time, just before the death of the Messiah. And what does the Master's Supper memorialize or bring to our remembrance? We read it in 1 Corinthians 11. We do show forth His death. The body, the bread, the cup, the wine, the blood of the Messiah. Let's talk a little bit about the name, the Lord's Supper, or the Master's Supper. The word Lord in English has the meaning of ruler or master. It's a good English translation of the Greek word kurios, or the Hebrew word adon. Our English Bibles call this ordinance the Lord's Supper, and I don't have a problem with that. I like to call it the Master's Supper. It's the same thing. Master is a synonym for Lord or ruler. The reason I like to call it that is because people's ears perk up to something fresh. They've never heard of the Master's Supper. Even though they have, they had, haven't. So When you say the Master's Supper, their ears perk up to something fresh. It makes people listen, and it gives me and you an opportunity to show the biblical basis and practice for what we do. So we get the name for this ordinance in the Apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthian assembly. If you're still there in 1 Corinthians 11, look at verse 17. We'll read through verse 20. Paul says, Now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you, so that the approved among you may be recognized. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. And then Paul goes on to chastise the Corinthian assembly for abusing or misusing the Master's Supper. And in the chastisement letter, he gives the correct way to partake. They were partaking incorrectly and abusing it, and therefore it lost its, it lost its meaning, it lost its potency, it lost what it stood for. And so that's why he says you're not really doing it right, so therefore you're not really doing it. You want to do it correctly. So Paul's meaning in verse 20 is that when the Corinthian church came together for the supper, they were not observing it properly. He goes on in the chapter to explain what is improper, and I'll deal with that in a later sermon. But for now, I want us just to acknowledge that the name, the Master Supper there in verse 20, is a scriptural name. It's a biblical name, and as we'll see, the name applies to the memorial of Yeshua's death. The word Lord in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 20 is actually the Greek word kuriakos, which means belonging to the Lord. And the word supper here, the Lord's Supper, the supper is the Greek word dipnon, which means a formal meal that's usually held at evening. And when you look at all the uses of this word supper in the New Testament, it doesn't always have to mean an evening meal. Most of the time it does. It doesn't always have to mean that, but I do believe that in the context of this memorial ordinance, only an evening meal is in view. And I believe that we should still do it in the evening or at night because that is when it was done originally 
by our Master and Savior at night. Now, when I grew up in church, I always heard the practice of taking grape juice and bread on Sunday morning being referred to as communion. As a matter of fact, I remember when I first started studying the Bible for myself. I was 15 years old. And Brother Jerry, I was on fire. And sometimes I still am on fire. My flame doesn't rise as high now, I guess, as it did then. If you know what it was like being a new convert, you know what I'm talking about. It's not that the fire burns out, but it, you know, it, gets, it gets lower and higher as you go through life. But when I first started reading the Bible for myself, I grew up in church my whole life. It's all I've ever known. But it was something different when I started reading and studying myself. And I wanted to do everything that I could. I remember I sat on the front row of the church. I paid attention to all the sermons that at that time my great uncle, Brother Franklin Walden, would preach. And I'd be there every time the church doors were open. And there was a brother in the church that held a small class on Sunday morning. And all it was was you'd go and you'd do communion and you'd do foot washing every Sunday morning. And I said, well, if the class is there, I'm going. Mama said, Mama was excited. All right, that's great, Matthew. That's wonderful. So you want to go? We'll make sure that you're there for, for communion and, and foot washing. Didn't really know what I was doing, um, at least in an in-depth way. But I wanted to do everything that, that I thought that you were supposed to do. And so, who was it? I think Sister Lisa said, Yahweh blesses the effort. If you're faithful in the little things, He'll make you ruler over the big things. You know, I've graduated a lot since then. I'm still not at the level, uh, but I'm, I'm still in the race. So, after looking at the Scriptures later on for approval, I believe that we can secondarily refer to the Master's Supper as a communion or a sharing of the saints. Communion is not really the name of the Supper. But it's okay to call it the communion of the saints or the sharing of the saints. Flip your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 15 through 17. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 15 through 17, Paul writes, I am speaking as to wise people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not the sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not the sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for all of us share that one bread. Those two words, sharing, there, read communion in the King James Version. The HCSB translates this Greek word koinonia as sharing because the word means fellowship, association, community, joint participation, a corporate thing. In this case, the saints, which whether you realize or not, that's you, Saint means holy one. That's the title that's given to believers predominantly in the New Testament, way more than the word Christian, is saints or holy ones. It's a sharing of the saints in the body and the blood of Yeshua as they partake of the Master's Supper. And for these reasons, I don't believe that it's wrong to call the Master's Supper communion or a sharing, but I do believe that the primary name for the practice, as seen in 1 Corinthians 11, is the Master's Supper and not communion. I want to make a quick point here before we move on to the origin and the meaning of the supper. And the quick point that I'll delve into in a later sermon, Yahweh's will, is that the meal in 1 Corinthians 11 is never called the Passover. 
1 Corinthians 10 doesn't call it Passover. 1 Corinthians 11 doesn't call it Passover. I believe it's associated with the Passover, but a lot of people teach that the supper that Yeshua had with his disciples was the Passover, but Apostle Paul never refers to this supper as the Passover. And I don't think that what Yeshua did with his disciples the night before he was crucified was the Passover. I believe he instituted an ordinance to remember his body and his blood. I'll delve into that in detail at a later time. So let's look at the origin of this institution. Turn with your, with me to Luke chapter 22. When we look at Luke 22, we'll begin to see the original meaning behind the ordinance. Luke 22, beginning at verse 14. Luke 22, we'll read verses 14 through 20. Luke's Gospel says, When the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again. Quick note, if you're reading the Holman Christian Standard Bible, there's a footnote beside the word again. It's an important footnote because it says that there are manuscripts that omit the word again, and it is the earlier manuscripts of the gospel according to Luke that do not have the word again. I do not believe the word again should be in there. The American Standard Version correctly omits it. What Yeshua is saying is that I have this desire to eat Passover with you this year, but I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. Once again, I'll cover that in detail in a later sermon. Verse 17, Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of the Almighty comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. So this occurrence right here, if you continue to read in the gospel, this took place the night before Yeshua died. And this is easily proven, like I said, by just continuing to read. Paul referred to this remembrance in 1 Corinthians 11 as an evening meal when he used the Greek word for supper. And I believe he did so because the time the meal was instituted in the evening or at night. Yeshua and his disciples were gathered together at night when Yeshua stated his words found here in Luke twenty-two fourteen through 20. And when you read not just the Gospel of Luke, but when you read what I like to call horizontally, you read the other Gospels, specifically Matthew and Mark, you look at Mark 14, verse 17, and Matthew 26, verse 20. Whereas Luke says, when the hour came, Matthew and Mark say, when evening came, they sat down. In verses 17 through 18 of Luke 22, we see that Yeshua gave thanks. And during the supper that they had, He told the disciples to have their share or distribute the cup. Literally, that's what it means, to distribute And the disciples distributed the contents of the cup among themselves or between themselves. When we examine the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, the order in which the two elements, the bread and the cup, are taken is first the bread and to the cup. If you read Luke by itself, it kind of looks like they took the cup first, but 
in verses 17 through 18 is simply the distribution of the cup among themselves. And then you continue to read, they partook of the bread, then they partook of the cup. Verse 19 talks about the bread, the eating of the bread. And of this bread, Yeshua says, this is my body. Again, this is a phrase I'll deal with in a later sermon. For now, let me just state that it is my belief that the meaning of this is my body is this represents my body. I do not believe it is Yeshua's physical body that we are eating, but that the bread is a memorial or a representation of his body, even though he said, this is my body. He tells his disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Then in verse 20, we have the drinking of the cup, and the cup is said to be, this is my blood. Once again, I believe that means the cup represents Yeshua's blood, not that it is actual or literal or turns into Yeshua's blood as the Roman Catholic Church actually teaches, but that it represents His blood. So do this in remembrance of me stands not only for the bread, but also for the cup, as we read at the beginning in 1 Corinthians 11. Both the bread and the cup are to be taken in remembrance of Yeshua's body and His blood. We show forth His death until He returns. I'd briefly like to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 28. Matthew 26, beginning at verse 26, and reading through verse 28. It says, As they were eating, Yeshua took bread, blessed, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So this is a supper that has to do with the forgiveness of sins. It's very important. It's very special. First of all, the order here is recorded by Matthew. Is the bread first, then the cup second. Secondly, we see that the bread stands for the body and the cup stands for the blood in Matthew's account. And finally, a reference is also made to this establishes the covenant. Just like in Luke 22, verse 20. And obviously, I think it should be obvious that this is a reference to the new covenant. As I mentioned formerly, it makes sense that such an ordinance would begin in relation to the new covenant being established or beginning. And what Yeshua was doing here is he was giving his disciples preparatory teaching for what was about to take place or be inaugurated through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah. He was giving them a way to remember, a special way to remember each year, what he was going to do for them. So in taking the bread and the cup, we remember the body and the blood of our Master. And we show forth the importance of his death until He comes back. This is the origin and the meaning of the Master's Supper. And I'm going to stop here for today. But I do want to give a little small teaser for what I'm going to cover in the next lesson, the next time that I teach. Three things in particular. Number one, I'm going to cover the time of partaking. When we should observe the Master's Supper. The Scripture teaches us when. 
Number two, I'll cover the seriousness and the importance of the Master's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11 where the Apostle Paul got onto or chastised the Corinthian church for doing it wrongly and abusing something so important as the body and blood of the Master. And number three, I will cover who is allowed to partake. We'll talk about something called closed communion. Is that accurate? We'll talk about adults only. We'll talk about children. Some of the things I'll talk about I've changed my mind on since 11 years ago. So I think it'll be interesting for you to listen to and make your own decision um, on that. So until next week, Brother Jerry, I'm hoping is going to be teaching, and Brother TJ as well. Look forward to that. And after that, we'll pick this back up next moon and um, get ready for the Master's Supper. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, give me wisdom. Give me understanding. I pray that You'd grant it all to us, Father Yahweh. But I do pray it for me in particular as I teach the people. I pray, Yahweh, for humility and just solely a desire for what Your Scriptures teach. Um, I'm thankful for uh, the Master's Supper. Um, I, it is a it is an important thing in my life. And Yahweh, Father, I pray that You would bless us this year as we as we do that. Let us be servants. Let us be kind. And let us love one another no matter what. I pray all these things through Your Son. Amen. Yahweh bless you. Shalom.